Hey everyone, welcome back to the Last Word on Sense podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger, and it is episode 65. We are rocking and rolling into the Ottawa Senators season, and uh, very excited. We have a guest returning to the podcast for, I believe, third, maybe even fourth time. It is the one and only Matt Bosty. Matt, how's it going? Hey, uh, not bad, not bad. Would have been a little bit better with a Sens win last night, but all things considered, uh, it could be worse. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the last time I recorded, you know, we were fresh off a Tampa, uh, a victory against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, the the vibes were at an all time high, I would say, especially after that six one drubbing of the Washington Capitals that comes after. We'll obviously get into that a little bit. And right now, it is absolutely flipped on its head. I'm not going to say the vibes are an all time low. There's been some pretty low vibes over the past couple <laughs> of years, but this is this is as fed up as I've seen this fan base in a long time. And, and I will say rightfully so. It, it's been a, a tough three stretch of games that I think we'll we'll get into. But at the same time, I, I want to still try to be optimistic, but there are some concerning things that, you know, we obviously the team needs to address within. Um, and, you know, I, I guess let's dive into it right now. So we're recording on Friday afternoon. The Senators are fresh off the heels of a 3-2 loss against the New York Islanders where they put 47 shots on net. Uh, they just could not beat Ilya Sorokin uh, more than twice. And back the other way, I thought Corpusalo looked really good last night. I think that's a that's a bright spot. You know, he's obviously had a rough start to the season, which I, I don't think has primarily been on him, to be fair. I, I think... The team has put him in some really rough spots defensively. Um, but last night was the first time we saw him really get close to even attempting to steal a game. And he was very close to at least getting them a point. Which is really funny, given that it was the other side of the rink with the 47 shots. But uh, shot chances and danger danger areas, of course, always have to come into play. Uh, it's, it's crazy to me. Uh, if you look at the first three wins, where both Forzi and Corpusalo looked very strong with uh, with our nice defense uh, in front of them, as soon as Zub went down, it's like that collapsed, and the goalies are the ones taking a lot of the heat on it. Because yeah, you know what? You can't you can't let in five shots on thir- or five goals on thirteen shots. Uh, Forsberg and Corpusalo, you got to start actually tracking a puck after a rebound. But it was like you said last night. There was. I, that, there was 10 minutes of that second period where he was just the only senator that was kind of trying. And then we got the goal going the other way and the uh, the energy shifted. So it is good to see him kind of get his feet wet. Get ready. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I guess this is probably a good point to just kind of jump into it with this team defense. Because as you mentioned, <laughs> the the first couple of games, like they, they looked strong. You know, it, it looked like a... A solid defense core, obviously, Jake Sanderson, Jacob Chitrin. Well, I want to get to Chitrin later because I've been super impressed by him. But, um, you know, Shabbat has been a bit of a lightning rod like he has, it felt like, the past couple of years. But I don't think his game's been bad overall. Uh, Zub obviously looked very strong. And then, you know, Branstrom uh, in that third pair role, even with Hamannick, I, I think has looked, they've had ups and downs. But, you know, when all six of them were kind of playing as they should, it, it worked out nicely. But, yeah, as soon as Artem Zub goes down, it just opened up opens up such a big hole in this defense core because the the pairing of Sanderson and Zub really was working well as a, a, a shutdown pair, if you will, right? And and the nice thing about them is it's not two shutdown guys who literally can't help you offensively either. You know, <laughs> we've seen Sanderson jump into the rush and move the puck, and Zub can move the puck as well. It's not his primary trait, but with Zub out, it brings Hamannick up the lineup, which just Again, Sanderson, he played he's played with Hamannick before. They did better than I thought, but it just it broke down too much. And then the biggest issue that I have with this team, and this was my biggest issue last year, <laughs> is the team defense stinks. Wild. Well, there was that one clip of uh it was Chikrin and Stutzla uh kind of going back and back and forth after a goal, but like it made no sense. Both of the players were just not at all in the right spot with, with Chikrin below the red line. And then Stutzla just hovering over at there. It's like they're, I, I don't, I, I feel bad harping on coaching, but it's just like that, that kind of discussion happens in like peewee. Like you, you're like, Oh, you see your, you see your Digo, you, you shift back or you see your, your forward is up at the blue line. You don't chase the puck behind the net. So it's kind of, it's, it's odd to watch these errors happen though. I guess we've been doing it for the last couple of years. It's just weird to see this as, as such a recurring situation in these games when things start going out of hand. Uh, oh, 
I don't know. I just I just got a push notification about a Shabbat alert that just came in. Uh oh. <laughs> well, well, that's uh, that's that's not too good. A uh, fracture in his hand out four to six weeks. Oh, so gosh. if 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 we're discussing if we're discussing team defense here and Shabbat, well, that's pretty rough. So six weeks, four weeks without Shabbat. Well, this is an injury he's had. If you look at some of the videos, his hand is wrapped in like four layers of tape and gauze in the post game videos. So I'm sure it was something that was close to recovering, and then boom, he took it right in the worst spot. So what's that make it? So we've got Chikrin Sanderson as our top pair. Our second pair at this point is. JBD ha- and Hamannick. Yeah. Like, and even then, like they don't play, neither of those guys really play the left side. No, oh, this is going to be interesting. Cause Clevin, Clevin's going to come up. There's no yes. way we don't bring Clevin up at this. And then I, are we going to do Lassie? Montecalo? Jacob Larson. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> this is, this is peak senators right here. Like here we are coming into the, uh, coming into the, the season being like, oh, we got a solid top four and a very good top six. And now we are not even 10 games in. And it's like, okay, so which of our third pairing AHL defensemen do we think we can bring up? Wow. Well, and the even crazy. So I'm assuming Shabbat will go on IR because four to six yeah. weeks is something you can actually, you know, move. So this actually, it's not a blessing, but at least this gives Ottawa a little more flexibility because with before the Shabbat news, which this is a, probably the first time I've had breaking news on a podcast <laughs> like this. Before this, the big worry is if Branstrom, which God help, he's okay. You know, that was a that was a tough scene to watch as his head hits off the I didn't think it was a dirty hit or anything. Maybe a second late, but not even then. I, th- I think in it the was rules, fine. It, it, it's one of those hits where in the rules, it's fine. But it's also one of those ones where you're like, I hate seeing yeah. it. So it's but it's there's, it, there's one or two of these every year. Yeah. And That's there was a, the one in the AHL right before. So it's I'm hoping that this kind of slowly leaves the game. But at the same time, I can't be mad. I can't yeah, be it, mad at, at uh, it, Clutterbuck. Yeah, exactly. It's not like Clutterbuck did anything. It was just a, a freak accident of his head hitting the ice like that. And, and you know, and Brentrum had even braced for the hit. But yeah, hoping he's OK, which it sounds like, relatively speaking, he is. So that's good. He's if back he's... in Ottawa from a report I heard. So that yeah. if if you if you can travel less than twelve hours after a hit like that, you're usually not in a serious serious one. Exactly, and the fact that they haven't placed him on IR already to me signals that he is probably day to day. And it sounds like I think Zub is probably day to day as well. I, I hope he comes back soon. But before the Shabbat injury was announced, they were going to be. <laughs> over the cap they were gonna have to play probably 11 and 6 again mm-hmm. um so we i was gonna keep an eye out as we were recording because waivers are announced in about 10 minutes from now if either of castellic who has not looked great this year let's just call it what it is or uh chartier would be on uh waivers just to make room but that might not need to happen now we'll see this is some huge news for the next couple games for the ottawa senators so yeah, and that's it. Kind of sucks for Shabbat because he'll miss Sweden. He'll be yes. uh, he won't be able to do the Swedish trip, which uh, it's uh, that that trip is hanging over our heads as this uh, as this thing kind of from the, from the past. So it's it's uh, this is honestly it, it's terrible, but it's also one of those things where this team needed at least something to. Ch- I don't want to say change because this isn't a change you ever want to see, but the dynamic isn't going to be the same going into the next couple of games. So there might be a little bit less of the, like, oh, what we're doing is futile, where we're just pumping out the same sort of lines and we're going to lose. Like, it's going to be a complete blender. Because yes. that's uh, <laughs> that's absolutely, uh, I don't know what we're going to do. I Like, I, I'm trying to think, it's like, do you really want, do you overload the top line with Chikrin Sanderson? Because I don't think Zoob's going to be ready for the next game. Or the, do you split them up? And then I think you have, they split them up. I think you I think have to. Yeah, I, I think, think they'll probably to. they'll probably go sanderson Hamanek because we've seen DJ likes mm-hmm. to do that. <laughs> Sanderson might legit play 30 minutes on Saturday night. <laughs> like, well, Chikrin was 28 minutes too on... Uh, so like they both might. They both might end up playing half of the game each when one isn't on the ice, the other one is. Which I don't even think I could blame DJ Smith for. I've been critical of his usage of Shabbat, but in this scenario, that might be the best outcome. Oh, it's weird to me, though, that, like, what was it? Uh, JVD had, like, 11 minutes in the other game, and it's just, like, 
if you're going to call him up, play him. Play yeah. him for at least 16 minutes, uh, try and spread it. But at the same time, when Chikrin was kind of out of this world uh, in that game, I guess you want him on the ice the whole time. I'm trying to think of when this might have happened for Shabbat. It, and, according to TSN, he blocked yeah. a shot. Or yeah. sorry, Friedman here says he blocked a shot. I I don't remember seeing anything, but it, it could have just been on like who knows? It, it honestly could have been something where he didn't think it was that bad, and then and then he woke up today and because the thing <laughs> with fractured bones in general is you don't always know yeah. how bad it is when it happens, right? If you get hit, especially with playing in a cold arena, it's gonna swell really quickly. Um, you know, it, it's going to inflame. So a lot of, especially NHL players will just go, <laughs> I'm good. I'm going to play through this. Yep. The adrenaline, take you through the game. And then it might be the next day, like it was this morning where you look and go, Ooh, that looks really bad. <laughs> oh, poor Shabbat. Poor, poor, poor Shabby. What a, what a crummy, crummy moment. What, what's up? What's up with the senators here? Like we literally had the first time kind of coming into a season, some hope, some going on. And in the last two days, we have had an insane scandal with an unsigned RFA, uh, a defenseman who might've had a critical career ending injury. Thankfully it doesn't seem like that's the case. And then just a surprise, like, Oh yeah, your, your assistant captain, one of your top pairing guys is out for six weeks. Like it, it, it feels like some cosmic punishment. Like, did did Carlson like sell part of his soul of the Ottawa Senators for our East Coast Finals run, and like this is our payment here? It just it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, it is. This is, I mean, this is brutal luck. The the one, not silver lining, but I guess if you're gonna look for again positives, isn't the right word. But Ottawa's schedule gets pretty light over the next week or two because of that Sweden trip. Um, yeah. So assuming that Zub is ready to come back within the next week or two, and again, fingers crossed, Branstrom, you never know, head injuries are, are tough, but even if he needs a couple weeks, it might not be as bad. So they play Pittsburgh tomorrow or Saturday, like this will probably be out of Saturday. So okay. tonight, if people are listening to that, then they get a break all the way until Thursday when they play the LA Kings. They then play following Saturday, November 4th. They get four more days or three more full days off. <laughs> November 8th, they play the Maple Leafs on a Wednesday. They then weird. have a back-to-back. A with, it is a strange time. Yeah. Right? Usually you get those <laughs> games on a Saturday. But mm. um, they then play the Canucks on a Thursday on a back-to-back. Uh, they then play Calgary. So the 8th, 9th, and 11th is a bit of a, a tighter schedule. But then they go to Sweden. So they have four or five days off between Calgary and the Red Wings. They play two games in three days while in Sweden. And then they have another six days off until they play the Islanders. So, again, not never an ideal world, but I guess if there's a time to have some if, injuries now is if you're going to miss a month, this is the month to miss. Yes. Uh, and even even hearing those teams like even without Shabbat, I do feel like a lot of them are beatable, and, which is also the nice thing. It's not like we're, we're running, running the gambit of uh, of uh, like Colorado, Boston and all of these other like super, super I think that's our February, if I remember right. February is a tough month for us. It's not one of those months where we need every single player 100% ready to go. Uh, still, yeah. though, De- it's December... going to be a funky month. Yeah, and just to what you're talking about here, December, <laughs> I'm going to read you off the teams they're playing. They Maybe start with Columbus, Columbus, Seattle, not bad. They Then they'll go the Rangers and the Maple Leafs, two pretty good teams. The Red Wings is going to be a good game, but then they go the Hurricanes. That'll be a tough one. <laughs> the Blues, again, that should be fine. The Stars, the Golden Knights, that'll be tough. The Avalanche and Coyotes, the Avalanche will yeah. be tough. The Penguins and Leafs and Devils, Sabres is how they finish off December. So Yeah, that's a, that's a wild one. Yeah. That's an absolutely wild December. Well, that's a make it or break it. Like yep, if we get exactly. 500 hockey up into that and then just have a good December. Well, and so that's the other thing, I guess, is we know how this team has performed in November's of past years. Uh, (laughs) It is going to be a critical time. They got the Penguins, the Kings, the Lightning, Maple Leafs, Canucks coming up here, as I mentioned. Um, Again, the Penguins, Lightning are both teams that you will probably be competing with if you want to Mm. clinch a wild card spot. The Maple Leafs, I I think they'll probably be a little higher up. I think they'll be near the top (laughs) of that Atlantic division. They're a good regular season team. Playoffs, we'll see. But, um, but. Again, like you can't injuries are not an excuse for any team and they cannot be an excuse for any team. So it, it, they were excuses for us last year, the year before. We can't do that this year. It, yeah. it is it is off the table. 
We've already dealt with that, and it's a team that, honestly, we have the depth for the first time in a long time that we should be able to to absorb some of these injuries. Now, three defensemen all at once is is going to put the strain on almost any team, but at the same time, this is the make-it-or-break-it season. You find your way to win. Even if you're down, even if things are rough, you have to rally and you have to push. Just yep. be competitive. Exactly. And yeah, like if they come out and their defense is a mess against Pittsburgh or whatever, because they're missing three guys. Sure. I, I can, I can handle that. But once you get to LA and again, hopefully Zub is back by the time they play something, someone in LA don't know, but as soon as you get Zub back in that lineup, you then suddenly go, okay, well, our number one slash two and our fifth defenseman are out. Teams deal with that all the time. I, I hate to tell everyone, but teams deal with that every single year across the league. So, and, and as you mentioned, this team is not built to be a, a 2000 New Jersey Devils defensive team or anything like that. You know, <laughs> they, they obviously have some talent on the back end, but the strength of their team is their top four. But more importantly, they built the forward depth out this year. And that I think is going to be the key to what needs to change to snap this three game losing streak, because there's only been a handful of guys I've really been impressed with up front and it's mixed. I really have not liked Tim Stutzel's game so far this year. I think it has been very lackluster. Um, I've liked Drew's game. Uh, and even he, he had a bit of a stinker the other night, but generally speaking, I think he's been very solid again this year. Um, I've liked different looks from the depth. Tarasenko's had some games on, some games off, but there just has not been enough consistency up and down that lineup. Yeah, 100%. And Stutzla, it, I feel like this is the same thing that happened to him for about 10 games last season where he... I either has too much confidence and does way too much or no confidence and won't make the, his own play. Uh, it's going to click for him just because he's magic. And like, you can still watch him and he'll carry a puck from our blue line to in front of their net. And instead of like getting a goal, like he was doing last year, he just flicks it back to nothing, which is the most frustrating, but yeah, a hundred percent. If our team with Stutzla isn't, if Stutzla isn't firing, we're going to have, have problems. And, Norris has been great to come back. It's nice to have that extra shot there, but still, I want to see more of the Chucky Stutzla connection. Giroux did everything on his own. Like if you watch uh, the rally last game uh, against the Islanders, that like six minutes, it wasn't Giroux's line. It was just Giroux who ca carrying pucks, bringing it back, beautiful shoot shots, nice passing. It, he was not being enabled. He was enabling others. And that's great. That's why you get someone like Claude Giroux. But that's not what you want that top line to be performing performing as. So once those things get together, that's going to be great. I have been really happy that Joseph is looking like an actual threat again this year. Uh, our team looks so different if Joseph pots 20 goals. It is a completely different team. Uh, but it is, it's just these long periods, like you've touched on it with Tarasenko, of ineffectiveness that every kind of player seems to have outside of a couple of them where it just is kind of, it's frustrating to watch. You watch 15 minutes of, of Ottawa not even try against uh, against the Islanders, and it's just it's just weird. It's just weird at this point. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's some great points there. I've really liked both the lines of Joseph, Greg, Tarasenko, and Kubalik Norris, Batherson at different times, but then mm -hmm. there are other games, like the other night, I didn't know, I mean, Kubalik has been invisible, I think, for most of the games this year, but even like, I didn't notice Batherson at all the other night, and it's like, you're yes, you're not the top, even top three most important forwards, but you were up there. You got to be producing, right? And he was an all star. That he was, he had such a great start to that season. And I want to see Batherson do something away from from Josh Norris. Like, yeah, they have insane chemistry, and that's super fun to watch. But I want to see Batherson do something where Josh Norris isn't on the ice, so that I get a little bit more confidence in his playmaking and in his vision because it has been absent for a good portion of last season and, and basically this entire start of this season. Yep, absolutely. And then you, to your point about Stutzel and Kachuk, I mean, I, I haven't loved Kachuk's game either. I think it's been fine. Like, he has such a high floor of what he's going to do, but mm -hmm. I do think that there is still another step for him, which is why I'm still encouraged about it because I was like, this team is three and three and the world is burning or three and four, I guess now, <laughs> and the world is burning. And I would argue their two best players haven't even performed how they, you would expect them to reform. And, and Tim Stutz was the big one because I have been beating the drum for a year now since Jack Hughes took his breakout year last year that Tim Stutzel is the next player to do that. And I'm not quite sure Stutzel is going to be the level of Jack Hughes who looks like he very well could be challenging for a top three centerman in the league. 
But and what what uh what a glow up for for Jack Hughes. Not not that he needed a glow up, but uh, like the first year, people calling him a bust for what an okay season. Then last year it was amazing, but just he's breaking. I don't know if it's any actual records, just because Gretzky and uh, and Lemieux kind of own all of those. But it is unheard of to see um like a two point six per point per game player to start a season. It's great. It's super cool to look at. I love I love it just from a sporting perspective. But uh, I I I want to see that from Tim because I do not think I don't think Hughes is that much better than Tim Stutzla, uh, and I want to see I want him to to get to that level, get to that pace. Yeah. 17 points in six games is what Hughes says, by the way. Four goals, 13 assists in six games. That is absurd. Insane. Like, the only player I would expect that from is Connor McDavid. Yeah. And, and yeah. expect isn't and... even, I would just not be surprised if McDavid did. I wouldn't expect <laughs> Like, But yeah, with Tim Stutzla, again, he doesn't need to be doing that. He doesn't need to be on pace for 205 points or whatever that is in a season. But he does need to take that step where he is a 100-point player who is eating 23 minutes or whatever a night as the team's number one center. And again, everything to me that we've seen, especially when you compare it to what Hughes' numbers look like, tell me he can make that step. We just need to see it now. And I think it is a case with Tim Stutzla where as soon as he gets one and gets on the board once or twice here, especially at 5 and 5 I really do think we're going to see him get going. In my opinion, the past couple of games, especially, it really looks like he's forcing stuff out there. He's, I'm not going to say diving, but it, it, he's going down easy enough where it's, and every time it's the big arms up to the ref. And it's just like, man, there's a place for that. And if you're getting mauled, you definitely got to let people know. But like every time you go down, you're not, you're not helping yourself out when you do the big, what was that? Well, I think the problem is he is so good at drawing penalties because he's so shifty and everything there. But it's when he does those exaggerated ones. He's he's the refs. The refs notice. Oh, we, Carlson did that, too, for a couple of years. And he had a little hard time uh, getting the refs to notice some blatant penalties for a while until he won a Norris trophy. And then, you know, what? if you win a trophy like that, uh, you kind of get the respect that you deserve just kind of as a as a basis. But Tim has to. If this was halfway through the season and he had 28 goals and 40 assists, uh, yeah, you know what? The refs are going to take you a lot more seriously. Right now, it's still early and he's struggling and they know that and they are not going to give you the benefit of the doubt yet. Now, I do think that he is being targeted more than he has been before, but that's what happens. If you're good, this is what's going to happen to you and you have to learn how to absorb it. You have to learn how to take that and turn that into a way a motivator to get those goals. And then you have to you have to just win on the scoreboard before you try and win in the penalty box. Yep, absolutely. And um, you know, again, what what's hilarious about this all is <laughs> with what we just said, you would think he's on pace for 60 points this year. He's got eight <laughs> points. Yeah. He's for 94 <laughs> points, which is super yeah, impressive. It's still fantastic. Like he's still great, but it's just because we know he's He's not at the 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 part where we we expect him to. He's not at mid game form last year, and uh, or mid season form last year, and that's where we're so tired of slow starts, and yep. and, and it's players and and team and everything there. It's just like I'm a positive fan. I I like to give the benefit of the doubt and try and like there, but it's just like I'm looking at this and I'm just like I just. Just win the next two or something. Just give me a couple of wins. Like, you don't have to do great. Just give me 500 hockey for the next month so that by December, halfway through December, I'm not already thinking about how pointless the tickets I have in March are going to be. And and that's that's all I want from, from, well, actually, I want the playoffs, but I just want us to be able to stay competitive through an entire year and not hope for a miracle run. Yeah, I mean, the past three seasons, everyone has known that the Senators have been eliminated from the playoffs, obviously not mathematically, but eliminated from the playoffs by the... A month and a half into the season, yep. um, you know, a couple of years, it was okay. Like the, the bubble year or yeah, the, the COVID year, whatever they're rebuilding. They still had an insane end to that season and we're not that far <laughs> off from making playoffs. But um, then last year, eight, an eight game losing streak with no points that not even half of that can happen this year. They need to stop this slide right now. They cannot lose another game, not getting a point. It's just unacceptable at this point in the season. Not because it completely sinks their season. It just makes it so much harder in a tough division. And that's why you need to see someone like Tim Stutzler getting going because this team is very good. Again, they've built the depth out great, but the ceiling of this team relies on Tim Stutzler and Tim Stutzler alone. 
because there's no one else with his ceiling capable on this team. Yes, you're going to have guys, Brady Kachuk can go off for a game. Claude Giroux can go off for a game. Drake Batherson, Josh Norris, like you have guys who can do it, but over a long period of time, the ceiling of this team comes with Tim Stutzla, and that's why they need more of him right now. And that's exactly where I think about Eric Carlson 2017, where every single game that we won was because Carlson was Carlson. That playoff series, that playoff, that playoff run to the ECF, every game Eric Carlson was the best player on the ice against players like Crosby. Uh, I can't even remember who was on the Rangers at that time, but like there were some good Rangers, uh, Bergeron and all that. But Eric Carlson stole the show every night. The opposing fans were mad at Eric Carlson. It wasn't the Ottawa Senators. It was the fact that Eric Carlson could flip a puck down there. And now that's a lot to put on a 22-year-old and I guess actually only 21 still. Uh, 21-year-old for the team. But this is what, what we need from Timmy. He has the big contract and he's earned it. But let's uh, let's just keep keep pushing. And I, I am fully confident we're going to see the 100-point the Timmy or the 110-point Timmy if he, if he does really get cooking this season. I just really wish it started right away. I just really wish we were talking about how he had 14 points and seven goals or something like that, because it would just make it so much more palatable when the games are up and down like this. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I think the biggest difference between obviously you can't put all the weight on his shoulders, but we're not, no one's asking him to carry this team to an Eastern conference final. No, no. They just, <laughs> they're just asking him to be fourth in the Atlantic division. Like it's, it's, you know, it, it is different levels of, of what they need here. But, and again, it's not just Stutzla, but he's the primary driver and he's the guy that's going to have to get going. So um, I, I think that's it for the, the forwards right now. Um Let's get on to the Shane Pinto situation before we maybe circle back to to the rest of the team, just because it's it's a complicated situation, but also I don't think it is as complicated as people are making it seem. Um, so it, I doubt anyone would miss this, but if they have, Tim uh, okay. uh, Shane Pinto was announced that he's been suspended for 41 games, which started at game one of the season this year. So it, it is actually ongoing. I know there was some debate about does it start when he signs a contract? When does it start? From everything I've heard, it started at game one of this season. So he is now on game seven of the suspension. It was for breaking the NHL's gambling policy. Uh, it is still very unclear what actually happened here. It is clear that he did not bet on the NHL himself. Um, and it is also clear that in the CBA for the NHL, you are allowed to bet on other sports. However, what from everything that I've heard, I, I've tried to listen as much as I can on this, it sounds like there was, whether it was a friend or they're calling it a third party, placed a bet on his behalf. And... I don't know if that was on the NHL. I'm not sure, but that was enough where the league decided they have to hammer down on this 41 games. Shane Pinto has already come out with a, a joint statement from the team saying he takes full responsibility. He accepts this. He's going to work his way back from it. All that stuff. Crazy, crazy scandal. If you want to call it that there's a lot of sides to this, but my genuine reaction at first was just, wow. <laughs> yeah. A hundred percent. This is something that, Maybe I'm naive, but I just never expected to read these headlines uh, from a player. and Or it would have gone the complete other direction of someone is betting on games they're in with some horrible thing. And it's like, okay, yeah, that, that goes there. It's There's so many layers to it, but what it really, I think the big thing is, is placing third-party bets is so illegal in the regulatory uh, spaces of these, these sports books. Now, there's a lot of crap that comes out of these sports books so it's kind of funny to have the like oh that's immoral you can't do that where they are, there's other things but they have been fined millions and millions of dollars for allowing these proxy bets to occur and if you are a professional athlete you can't you have to reveal that to these bets and you're monitored so i i would guess again i have no insider thing but this came up and the sports book that whatever he bet with told the nhl as their partners saying hey shane pinto made a big boo-boo we're going to have to either ban him or something and that's bad. And they're like, okay, let's, let's just all get together and figure out something in the grand scheme of things, anything gambling and sports related 41 games in is really not that much to, to think about because they could easily have just said, you're, you're done. You're going to have to appeal a lifetime ban because you're involved in sketchy betting. You appeal that in three years and we'll see, we'll see where you're at, but 41 games, 
January, you still have the whole stretch there. It's not like he's missing out on his career. It's a setback, but it's not it's not something that's going to really, I don't think, follow him for a long time if he can get back on the ice and put up another 10 goals before the end of the season. Uh, he learned a lesson, and what I really like is the joint statement. Uh, especially in a spotlight like this where he's an RFA and contract negotiations were going back and forth. Not that I heard it got contentious or anything, uh, but the fact that both the team and him had very similar messaging and it was very positive. And from what I've heard as well is uh, Shane Pinto has really appreciated the discretion that the Ottawa senators had about this as they got notified. They did not leak this to the media for why they weren't signing him. So if you could strengthen uh, a relationship with a player who has Honestly, at this point, it's important as Pinto because we're going to be cap strapped for a long time coming. And if he's going to be a third line center for three million bucks or something like that for the next four or five years, if we can keep him happy because we treated him well during quite possibly the worst 41 games of his life, uh, whatever time frame that ends up with, that's the small silver lining you can take from this. But geez. Shane, man, like any any hockey player right now, I'm sure is texting all of their friends and family like what the hell? Do not touch my computer. Do not touch my phone. Do you see what's happening? It's unfortunate it happened to Shane because I'm sure a whole bunch of others have done it. Uh, but what a boneheaded move. If you have allowed this access as a professional athlete to any sort of sports betting, you you, you got to follow every friggin' like dot every I twice, cross every T. It's just a very boneheaded move. Yeah, um, there's just so many thoughts that are running through my head with this. And I guess the biggest one that I, I want to convey, because I, I, I kind of saw it yesterday, was this was a mistake. This was, a, like again, mm-hmm. a very stupid one. Let's call it what it was. But <laughs> it is, A, good to see that he's learning from it. But, B, we do not need to treat this like this is some kind of sexual abuse scandal or something like that, right? Like, this is yeah. so much less heinous than stuff that has come out over the past couple of years. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I hope, like I said, I don't think this is going to follow him around because every player is involved in some sort of betting. He just made a bad decision with giving access to someone else. It is not something that I, I think will impact him. And I'm hoping not because he's done everything right since then. He seems by all accounts to be a, a, a consummate professional in the room and all that. So I, it is it is not in the same vein as what uh, the, the Hockey Canada investigation and all that stuff so that's the other thing is if uh, if this is 41 games what's uh, we got to make sure that the league is well we got to make sure like we have any power but it's hopeful that other things are going to be taken as seriously yes exactly and so. and i guess so the other thing that i saw a lot yesterday was wow how hypocritical of the league everywhere you look there's a sports betting advertisement but they punish their players it's like well they kind of have to like this is not just an nhl thing the nfl suspended <laughs> multiple players this summer for six to eight games, which is half of an NFL season. So 41 games in the NHL Mm -hmm. for the exact same thing. Someone placed a sports wager on, I think it was baseball, but they were on team grounds. So that was an automatic six or eight game suspension. I can't remember, but half a season for just placing something on the grounds, because it is very clear. You can not do this. Right. Well, it's 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 an it's a gambling epidemic in a lot of spaces too. Like Italy, right now they have a whole bunch of soccer players who are being banned for entire seasons for betting on games. Now, of course, because it's soccer, everything's a little more ridiculous. They're betting on games they're in, but usually it's for themselves. Like it's a whole whole other thing. But it's it is going everywhere, and the NHL absolutely. Like I to me, I look at everything here. I saw this. I was like, this is fair. This is mm-hmm. fair for Shane. This is fair for the NHL. They made a big deal about this to say, hey, we are not going to put up with this. Shane, you know you made a mistake, but you're going to do the time. Shane still will have a career after this. Shane will still be able to play in this season because I don't think what he did was so egregious that he should miss out on an entire season. And the Ottawa Senators hopefully are going to educate the the team or whatever on how to do this properly because bet's going to happen. We live in a like betting has happened on sports since sports. Forever. Like, I, yes. yeah, that's that's why it exists. Like, uh, people love to bet on anything, and sports are one of the most fun things you can bet on. Now, there's also discussions about should we be inundated with ads at every break, and should the talking heads talk about sports uh, odds mid mid sentence? Where I I wish Don Cherry was still around so he could kind of butcher plugging fan duel. Yeah, <laughs> on fan duel. 
<laughs> but uh, it's 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 that's the part where I really am getting annoyed. But that's not even the NHL. That's the 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 media that is really kind of running with the money that they're getting from it. But it is what it is. It, it the it relies on the individual to manage themselves and bet responsibly, even though that's a cheesy line, and bet smart. Shane Pinto at this point did not bet smart. He might have been real responsible, but whatever actions he took was not smart. And if this had come out in another light, if this was if this came out not through the lens of the NHL, that there were players betting on something illegal with that, this would have been such a huge scandal, and Shane Pinto would have been the poster boy of of sports gambling or players gambling, and he would never play another NHL game. If the sports book wanted to charge him with like elite like abusive service or something like that it would have it would have been infinitely worse yeah and and the 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 how much betting is shown is definitely a separate conversation because i I definitely agree and some ways i'm a part of that you know this podcast isn't sponsored but the other podcast i do is sponsored by a betting company you know like and and i wager on sports multiple times a week but again it's there's definitely got to be a line somewhere but the one thing that I could never get my head around yesterday was people going, well, why? Do, what do they expect? NHL players not to do? It's like, yeah, yeah, it's illegal. For, <laughs> like, if if so, if this takes sports out of this, if this was like a stock company and you found out that someone was using insider information to place something on stocks, which obviously is a little different than wagering, but it's got a similar thing. That is so illegal. It would be a massive scandal and people would get arrested. I'm not saying Jane Pinto should be arrested. But <laughs> no. Like, but like that's why the NHL needs to uphold how serious this is. Absolutely. It is it is a statement that they had to make and I think that they could have they could have been a lot worse with this if they wanted. And it's it's exactly what you said it's just because it, like sports betting exists so prominently in in sport sporting arenas and sporting things doesn't mean that they can't do it like if a pharmacist or a pharmacologist was abusing their own their own uh, like prescription drugs, like that would also be a big issue. Is when you work in any sort of industry, you have to adhere to the policies, and in a in a, I don't even want to say the word moral, but in a kind of a professional and ethical fashion. And if you are if you are not following every single policy and guideline on one of these sports books apps if you're playing in the nhl nfl nba hell even if you're playing in like the friggin second div of the shl you have to make sure you are following every single one of the policies in place or else this is going to happen a hundred percent and i just i don't get the sob story with it it's like oh why should we hold athletes to higher standards like because they make millions of dollars they're getting (laughs) paid millions of dollars and a large part of that is this betting revenue that's coming in and helping the league I don't feel bad for them. Yeah, they can't place a hundred dollar bet on a on a hockey game. Boo hoo! Matter. <laughs> yeah. No. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I think just in general, it it sucks to see. But again, I, I think for how complicated the situation is, Pinto and the team, for that matter, have handled it as well as you could expect. Honestly, even better, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So as as you said, I, I think I it, it can be a learning moment for him. Uh, I don't think it's going to ruin his career by any means. Um, and I hope to see him back on the ice in January with the team or February, whenever the, the 42nd game is or whatever with the team and see what he can do for the back half of the year here. Because uh, yeah, like this is, it's again, a super unfortunate situation, but I understand why it had to happen from all sides and that I think you just kind of got to move on. So it is really funny though, that our cap situation was kind of solved by the suspension like we'll have 500 grand or whatever it's going to cost for the prorated cap hit when he signs in january it is absolutely absurd that this is uh this is the <laughs> the the, uh, the solution that came into place i that is one thing i am still happy about the ottawa senators things are still absurd like i would i'd rather it be a little bit more positive but like there's still these weird insane kind of stories that give our team some some personality and some some level of notoriety in markets that that might not know what's otherwise yeah absolutely i i trying to remember who what the tweet i was that saw or that i saw yesterday but it was basically just like Oh, the it was regarding the Pinto thing. It was like, this is the craziest thing to happen to the Senators. And then since something that happened earlier this week, I can't even remember what it was, but he was like, so basically two days. <laughs> that feels about right. Yep. Like, <laughs> um, Yeah, 100%. 
but yeah, so I, I think, you know, we've kind of set our piece with that one. I, again, I, it seems pretty cut and dry to me. It'll be interesting to see if any more details leak out because they were very vague with it all. But even if it doesn't, I mean, every side here has definitely accepted the punishment. So I don't foresee there being too much more to this story. Um, let's get on to maybe just a couple more on ice things before we, we head out here. And uh, one I wanted to bring up, cause we did, we have mentioned him a couple times this podcast, but I think he rightfully needs to get his flowers here. And that's Jacob Chitron who oh. he, I, I liked the trade when it happened. Um, I thought there was definitely, I could see why they did it. You know, I wasn't as sold that it was a slam dunk win as everyone else. I, I thought there was still some risk and I still do just given the fact that he needs a new contract after next season and all that stuff. But what he has done so far this year has been incredible to see him and Jake Sanderson have by far been two of two of Ottawa's best players. Not even, just I, I, I would say like a hunt. They are the two, uh, the most consistent best players. The Ottawa senators have had the only two that I would say have been consistent from game one to game seven. I think uh, we're at, yeah, three and four. Yeah. Uh, the, the only two where I think every single game, like, sure, they'll have hiccups and moments, but the only two where they have been good, 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 good th- th- this entire time. But yes. Chikrin, holy, holy moly. I don't watch Phoenix games. I apologize to West Coast, uh, West Coast hockey fans. I had no clue he was this good. I heard. I saw clips. But it's what he does away from the puck, which isn't as good as, like, a, like a pure, pure shutdown D. But he is so good at zoning. He is so good at retrieval. He is so good at at forcing pucks into to low danger areas that I did not think he had it in him. And then the, he dances on the blue line like Carlson does where he can go from one end of the blue line and just hold it, pulling people out of position, and then that rocket of a shot. Oh, it's magic. Yeah, and honestly, his offensive game, like I always knew that he was known for his offensive game, obviously, but it's impressed me so much, not just because he has four goals, but it's the spaces that he manages to get himself in, as you mentioned, whether that's with or without the puck. The one thing I've been just really, really happy to see and like just surprised by, I guess, is just how often he is in a spot when someone else has the puck in the corner and they shoot it out and he's just like wide open in the slot because he moved down there silently. It's amazing. I I just can't believe people weren't hyping him up more before this. Like if he was this good in Phoenix, which Phoenix fans say he was, I, I can't believe that he wasn't being shown. Maybe there is a West Coast or an East Coast bias, so a lot of these players who are really good don't get the visibility they deserve because this is a player. Like, I think I look at what Toronto did with, like, Klingberg and all their weird acquisitions last year. They were rumored to be, in, like, interested in Chikrin. If they had Chikrin right now, like, a lot of my complaints against Toronto and the way that they're built is gone because that is a, a defenseman that act, has a ridiculous shot in the transition game that they need, that they are trying to figure out. So I'm just so happy that we stole it from them and they had to deal with Klingberg, who seems like an absolute atrocity in his own end. Uh, but it's it's so nice having Jacob as a senator. Yeah, Chickard is what they were kind of hoping Klingberg can be, a guy who can move the puck efficiently, help on the power play, and... Chicker, and the nice thing about him is it's not like he's a, a stud defensively or anything like that, but he is more than competent, which is all you need when you're that good offensively versus a guy like Klingberg, who, yeah, might have been an alternative if they didn't get Chicker in this offseason or last last year, who just can't play defense in his own end. To save his <laughs> life. Um, so, yeah, like it's it's been amazing. Like I again, I wasn't. I wasn't down on the acquisition at all, but I wasn't sure. I thought there was a chance he was the fourth best defenseman on this team this year. And I don't know if that would have been an issue because I think that was more likely that Sanderson, Shabbat, Zub just all looked really good. But he has been far and away, it's him and Sanderson as the best, again, players, not even defenseman on the team. Like, I think back to the fact that we gave up no actual established prospects for for Chikrin. Like, yeah, draft picks always hurt. They always hurt. But like, how did we not give up one of Gregor Pinto? Like, that's the part that just I don't understand is how did they let us not give them like a, one of our better prospects? But that's that's a Pierre Dorian move where you look at him and you're like, how did you do that? And then you look at you look at Kubalik and you're like, but why did you get him? And it's it's just it, it makes no sense. But you got to give credit where credit is due is that uh, it, the fact that we gave up nothing on the roster for Jacob Chikrin and we're. We paid the price in the offseason uh, at the draft, I guess, maybe. But uh, but this this year, it's paying dividends. And if we get through these next two months, it really is 
a big portion of that is because Jacob Chikrin was able to to be one of the players who was ready from the first game of the season. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a good transition to kind of my last point that I really want to hit on here. And and that's both DJ Smith and Pierre Dorian. Um, I mean, Smith is just going to come up naturally. I genuinely, and honestly, the Shabbat injury might save his butt because <laughs> he now has a built-in excuse. If they lose the next couple games, he's going to go, well, what do you want me to do? I was missing three of my defensemen. I don't think that should be an excuse, but I could see why it would be. Pierre Dorian, though, was one where there was a rumor floating around yesterday, and I'm not going to go into how much credibility, but there was a couple people who had mentioned it, not just one person, who had said, it sounds like Pierre Dorian is on his way out, and Peter Shirelli, of all people, might be on his <laughs> way in. I'm going to ignore the Shirelli part for now, because I, I just don't know, I don't want to spend an hour doing that, which I'm sure I could if I wanted to. But I the Pierre Dorian thing is fascinating to me, because... I a, don't even know where I really settle. I think the team could make a change and I wouldn't be too angry. I think Dorian said enough time. But the thing I keep coming back to is why now? Like, if you were going to make this move, you would have made it before the season started. Mm-hmm. Or that you wait until the trade deadline or around then, you know? That's exactly it. I don't think there's any benefit to getting rid of Pierre Dorian this season. Like, even around the trade deadline if things are really 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 gone off the rails and we have zero chance at the playoffs yeah you know what do that change just so that you have more time to get your draft ready and all that jazz uh but what 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 would a new gm do right now like even if steve stales walks into there is he going to be like trade 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 like i don't want that either i i our team has been a good core we've been very uh established when it comes to uh kind of getting our character and our kind of personalities to mesh in our locker room, which I think is a huge benefit. Like who, what, what young star like Stutzla talks about how he took probably less money than he could have asked for because he just likes it here so much. There's been a really good focus on making this team uh, a character team and making sure everyone meshes. So I don't want a GM that's going to come in and just like trade three players just to, to change things up. This is the group that we have to make work. Do I want Dorian here at the helm next at the start of next season? I don't know. I I I don't I do not know. I find it impossible to kind of look at to to figure out because he's a I call him a a home run or a, like a hard swinger GM. Every single move he makes is swinging for the fences. Like Duchesne, Chikrin, like he does nothing halfway, which is fun, and it means that it's a coin flip. Either either the trades Chikrin or the trades Trebrinkat. Like it is, it you get the duality there. So I. I, I don't want Peter Chiarelli. I can't think of without Dubis. And even then, I'm not sold on Dubis because he never actually did anything that great. He's just great at tweaking lineups a little bit. I can't think of another GM that I'm like, I need him. I want him right now. Well, Joe Sackett. But like an achievable, an achievable GM. So it's, is it a grass is greener? Is it a devil you know sort of situation that I, I'm kind of hoping for? It's just, it's weird. It was weird. When I read about it yesterday, I was just weirded out for the same reasons you said. It Timing made no sense. Nothing made sense. And is it actually going to change the team? Yeah, I, I think that's a good way to put it. It's funny too, because I think Dubis does have his flaws, but he might be exactly what this team could use. He's not coming, obviously. He's got full control of Pittsburgh. But Dubis yeah. is really good at building the bottom two lines of a lineup out, I think, when you have the the star talent and need to do that for cheap, um, like he did in Pittsburgh this year. Um, but yeah, I, I just, yeah, I don't get it. Because as you said, I think the overall core of this team makes sense. Um the only move I think I would see making, and even now it, it was Kubalik, but now with Pinto out, I just don't think they need to make that move right now. Um, mm-hmm. in, in fact, I think you're purposely making your team worse if you make that move, unless you can find someone like maybe like a Niels Hoglander that Vancouver is rumored to be maybe not, not, not in on or something like that. Right. But yeah, I just, it's funny. I, I think your analogy of Pierre Dorian is perfect. I never thought about it, but he, it's like Giancarlo Stanton of the New York Yankees, where <laughs> he is either crushing a ball 400 feet or he's striking out. And it's going to look like the worst thing in the world. Those are Pierre Dorian's two things when it comes it, to trades. It's all he does. It's all he does. It is either like you look at something and you're like, how did you do that? Or or you look at like Derek Steven where you're like, how did you do that? Like, <laughs> you get like, Norris makes- and Stutzla for Carlson. Or you yeah. get Eric Branchnum, who you can't turn into more than a third pair defenseman for Mark Stone. Like, just so many of those. But So that's a good way to put it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, 
I think maybe the only reason I could see if they just move on from Dorian too is if the management team as a whole feels DJ really isn't the guy and Dorian's still going to bat for him. Um, but even then, that I don't know. Like that just feels like so I can't. I couldn't. I can't imagine Dorian would be so committed that he would hitch his entire wagon to DJ Smith like that. Um, I think if Dorian gets even a whiff that his job is on the line, DJ Smith is the first one to he to get get ousted. Like I, I, they have a great yeah. relationship, but Dorian yeah. is absolutely a I want to keep my job kind of GM. I think, uh, and he will he will kick DJ to the curb. And I honestly I think that. Dorian may have a little bit of an inkling with Steyos things that if we do not win two of the next three, regardless of the injuries we injuries we have, we're gonna see uh, we're gonna see DJ out of here. And I, yeah. I I don't know if it's necessarily fair fair because like everything is kind of a mess. But at this point in time, you got to do something different. If we're not working, we can't just give it another shot. Yeah, I I'm at the point now where I think it's more than fair. I. I was open to two years ago saying, well, DJ hasn't really had a good lineup. Let's see what he does with good players. And and then it was a slow start and a poor season. And it's, well, a lot of their good players are still in year one or year two. So let's see what they do. And then last year they go on two separate, like seven game losing streaks. And it's, all right, well, one more season. And it's like the biggest problem I have with DJ Smith right now, he seems like a great guy. The players love him. That's good. But the style that this team is playing does not fit with how they're set up. And just does not fit with being a good NHL team. It was okay to play dump and chase as defensively can hockey when you knew you didn't have the talent to do anything but win 2-1 and hope you get kind of lucky most mm-hmm. nights. This mm-hmm. team is so much more talented than that this year. They cannot continue to keep playing dump and chase. They had the uh, they were down a goal last night <laughs> with a minute and a yep. half left. It took them 30 seconds to get out of their zone. Giroux gets to center and just fires the puck in. I'm like, it's just lost possession. It's insane. And the part that got me is I went to the, uh, I forget who we lost to, uh, Buffalo. I went to the Buffalo game, and it was like the Buffalo coach knew every single play the Senators were going to make. Every time we were trying to carry it on the half board, we were being met with resistance. Every time we tried to cut through the, the neutral zone, resistance. And they never adapted. As the game went on, it was the same plays, start to finish, and that's what I, that's where I get really annoyed. It's, I, I think back to the like Boucher and McLean, which they have their own faults, of course, that we could discuss. But when a game wasn't going their way, they were juggling lines. They were moving things around. They were having the players shoot from different parts of the ice. There was some actual tinkering going on where this coaching staff, where it's like, it, it just feels like they've, they wrote up their plan in July. They took a month off in August and they're like, this is going to get us there. Don't worry about it. My only worry is what do we do if DJ's fired? I, Cause I don't want to see Capuano. I don't no. want to see him behind yeah. the bench. I <laughs> would hope it would be someone like Patrick Waugh gained some traction this summer. I would be okay with that. You know, obviously his time in Colorado didn't end well, but um, <laughs> like he, he, from everything I've heard, you know, he's really improved in the, he went back to junior with the the queue and, and was coaching there. So that, that'd be an option. I've seen, I think it was at uh, Jacques Martin thrown around his name as well. Wouldn't be opposed to that. Um, something like that I I would be okay. Jacques Martin as an interim. You see what happens, and then in the offseason, have one of your weird coaching combines and get, like, 15 different coaches to do their eight-hour interviews. And where was it that uh, Dorian did his interview with DJ Smith? It was something insane. It was, like, the Orleans. I think it was the Orleans uh, Eastside Mario's or something wild, like the most the most DJ Smith, uh, Pierre Dorian kind of move you could do. Get something like that going with a bunch of different coaches and actually, I think, with someone like Steve Steos, who again, you know what? I don't even know that much about the guy, but he just seems so patient and so opposite of what the senators have had in management in a long time that I just have this innate confidence in him to just do the right job, just make the correct selection and just work in and find the 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 coach that is ready to take us from a rebuilt team because we're rebuilt. There's nothing else that's going to come down the line. A rebuilt team into a playoff team into a Stanley Cup winning team. Because I think DJ Smith's a great coach to instill uh, a character and a system and like a belief in yourself and a kind of a camaraderie around the team. But as soon as you're ready to win, I think that he should be kicked off to the next uh, <laughs> rebuilding team. Columbus, maybe Columbus will do. Uh, we'll need a DJ Smith in the offseason, but it's something something along those lines. Yeah, like it's and again, we see this all the time and it's unfortunate because it's not like DJ doesn't want to win or anything. It's just 
It's so clear he is not the right guy to take the next step with. It just feels like they're delaying the inevitable. And like the, the defensive zone, I think the the players, especially the forwards too, need to take more responsibility for that. Like it's year four or five for a lot of these guys' career. There's no excuse to be as bad as they are defensively at times. But the coach's number one job is to get people away from just staring at the puck all the time. Like how, how as a coaching staff, have they not been able to at least instill look around like, I, the amount of times you could throw a blanket all over five guys in the zone is crazy. How many times have we seen him bench Brandstrom for the most minor defensive error? And it will be like a 15 minute benching in the middle of the game. And then you watch these plays where like, I get it. It's your best players, but you watch plays where Stutzla doesn't come back or you watch, I can't, I don't know even know who it was yesterday on the third goal or the second goal. Yeah. The second goal where they they just let a player sit there. You don't, you don't bench those players. You need to bench your best players if they're not going to do that because they're not that that's just what you do. Like, I don't, I don't agree with everything Torts does. I don't agree with like that hard nose, like I'm a jerk. I'm the jerk coach kind of mentality. I think there's a nice middle ground, but holding everyone accountable, whether you're making league minimum or you're making $10 million should be the very baseline of a coach's job. The New Jersey Devils and Lindy Ruff sat Timo Meyer down the other night because he took two stupid penalties while playing. I think it was the Buffalo Sabres as they were desperately trying to claw, claw back into a game. And yep. after the game, he went, yeah, you, he, he should know, especially better than everyone here, he can't be making those penalties. So he sat down for 12 minutes. And again, that doesn't need to be something that happens every week. But it just, it's got to be something where, whether it's a benching, whether you just go, you're not going to be playing as much as you want to be until you figure this out and can show me. And the other problem too, is like, if it was just one or two guys and they create a ton of offense, like maybe I can let it go. It's been like four years of watching. Yeah. Branstrom gets sat down because he makes a mistake. And then watching like Hamannick or Zaitsev just completely lose a dude out front four different times. <laughs> it's like, why aren't they being punished? And it, it, so just the consistency doesn't make sense to me. And just when you have an overall team defense and then the, the way they play offensively doesn't mesh like this. I just think it's time for someone new. I get change isn't going to come right away, but like, and this is a little different, but like, look at what the Canadians did bringing in Martin St. Louis the other year, where it's like, and that was just a random hire off this. He was coaching Pee Wee before that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> they brought yeah, in someone they, who clearly understands the game and is not, and it was in the position where they made mistakes before. So they know what that's like. I just want to see something like that. Well, it's even like the Bruce Boudreaux. Like he came in and he was good, but then kind of rocky afterwards. But they got Talkit, who by all means, I'm not a huge fan of him as a coach or anything, but they're four and two. Vancouver last year, they came they they were terrible for a long stretch, but they it's 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 got the same players doing things differently. And that's what a coach does. I I think the saving grace for DJ Smith is everyone loves him. I know that that locker room absolutely adore him, but we're past that. That was great. The great for the last couple of years. I do not care if Kachuk is best friends with the coach. I do not care if, uh, what was it? He visited Austin Watson and played the spoons at some cottage. That's great stories. I want to see a coach that's going to make us win. Yep. You're going to be a lot happier if you're winning yep. and getting 95 points and making the playoffs instead of, oh. you know, being out by November. So, um, <laughs> Bit of a bit of a downer note, but I think that's a that's a good place to wrap it up. I do weirdly think that even as tough as this past week has been, watching them go on an L three, there is still a lot to be optimistic about with this team, as we've kind of highlighted, where they're three and four despite some of their best players not playing up to their potential. And and yeah. even so, I think a couple of their losses, it's been a mix of obviously very bad defensive breakdowns, but generally speaking, they are outplaying their opponents more often than not, I feel like, which is a big change over the last couple of years which is nice to see. I remember going to a bunch of games during the losing streak last year, that eight game losing streak or whatever it was. Uh, and you, you would watch the team just not even try. Like they have clawed back after like 20 terrible minutes, both games to make it a one shot game in both Buffalo and the Islanders. And we are out shooting, out chancing, out playing a lot of it. And it, it will change. I, I think we're at like fifth at danger high danger shots or something like that. And we're one of the lowest for actually converting on that. So something will change. They have to stick with it, but at the same time, you have to make it easier on your team to be able to break those, uh, th those unfortunate kind of unlucky things. I just want a garbage goal. All I like every single goal we've scored this year have been pretty. I just want to see like 
Rook, Rook Chartier, like, jam a puck from the behind the net and it bounces off three opponents and gets in because I think once that happens, everyone's going to be able to exhale and you're going to see Timmy get into his zone. You're going to see Brady be the Brady he can be and just everything will get right back into where we need to go. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. So it'll be interesting to see what they do, obviously, Saturday against Pittsburgh. That'll be a huge game. And then a couple more big ones coming up. Uh, Matt, thank you so much for joining me, man. Uh, plug anything you want here. Where can, where can people find you or anything you want to plug? <laughs> you can find me kind of anywhere. Like, he, uh, the thing is, I'll find you. Like, he, you, you'll make a tweet and I'll be in your, your mentions saying something dumb. Uh, but yeah, bossy.ca will bring you right to my Twitter account. Uh, and that's that's where, where I, I yell the loudest. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. I'll definitely have to have you on again down the line. Um, thank you everyone so much for listening. As always, you can find me on Twitter at NHL Sends and Stuff and the podcast on Twitter at Last Word on Sends. Check out all my stuff at lastwordonhockey.com. Uh, thank you everyone so much. I hope you have a great week. I'll talk to you all next week.